church. If you don't know it, that is J.D. Greer, who is our Southern Baptist Convention president and pastor at Summit Church over in Durham, which is soon to be over in Raleigh off of Capitol Boulevard. And I'm so appreciative of the focus that he's put as president this year to get churches to realize and to understand the value of one soul. Because what Jesus meant when he called us to make disciples, he meant for us to go out. And when I say for us, I don't mean us pastors. I don't mean us missionaries. I mean us as believers in Jesus Christ. To go out into this world and to make a difference in the lives of people. Now, Christianity today, we have focused so much on programs. We have focused so much on buildings. We have focused so much on things that ultimately aren't the answer to the needs of the people that are around us. What people need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way that they are going to find that is through each one of us. As we begin this series this morning, we begin in Matthew chapter 4. Part of the problem I think that we're having in churches with understanding this issue of what it means to, to focus on one soul, one life, to make a commitment, to go out and make a difference in this world, just one person at a time, is because we've really lost in many ways our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. Most of us in this room, if I ask you to define yourself, you would use a term that, that in many ways, I'm not saying it is a wrong term, but I want you to understand that it really wasn't the term given to us by the Lord. That really the term that we use most often to describe ourselves is a word that was actually given to us by the world. The term Christian is how most of us would define ourselves in this room. The word Christian is used only three times in the New Testament scriptures. But the word that I believe was really intended for us to be, to, to be identified as, was used over 280 times in the Scriptures. Over and over, it is what Jesus called us. Over and over, it is what the Apostle Paul called us. Over and over, it is what we see the Scripture screaming out to us. And I think in many ways, because we've taken that term Christian and elevated it over the other word, we've lost our purpose. You know what Jesus called us? Disciples. Disciples. If you look at Acts chapter 11, and if you want to go there and just take a quick peek at it, you see where the church was first called Christians. In Acts chapter 11, when you look at verse 26, it says, And when he had found them, he brought them to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church members and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples, there is the term that was given to us as believers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now let me tell you who was calling them Christians. It was the world around them. The world around them was looking at them, and in a derogatory way they were saying to them, Oh, you guys just think that you're little Christ." You're going around and teaching the things of Christ and doing the things of Christ. And they didn't use it as a compliment to believers, but it was a derogatory moment 
where the world looked at the church and started to call them little Christians. And, and folks, again, I, I have no problem being called a Christian. But the concern that I have is that Christian doesn't convey to us exactly what we are called to be as believers. And that is disciples. You see, it goes with the commission that we've been given. The commission that we've been given, the, the marching orders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are that we are to go. And while we are going into this world, we are to make disciples of all nations. Anybody and everybody out there that doesn't know Christ, we want them to know Christ. So we go and we make disciples and we baptize and we teach and folks, that's the identity that we are supposed to have as believers. And I don't know that that's the identity that we have as believers. If, if we did some word associations today, I could have y'all close your eyes and I could say, what comes to mind when you think of a Bernie Sanders supporter? You're going to close your eyes and you're going to have an association. If I ask you to close your eyes and think of a Trump supporter, guess what you're going to do? You're going to close your eyes and you're going to have an association. If I ask you to think of companies like Nike, you're going to close your eyes and you're going to have an association. And folks, what do we associate when we think of the term Christians? For many people, the word association for them is it's a building. It's a place that you go. It has nothing to do with the fact that no, a Christian is actually a, a person, a believer in Jesus Christ. We're more than a building. We're more than programs. We're more than a budget. It really boils down to the fact that if you stripped away everything that we have on this campus, we wouldn't be any less a church. You do realize that, right? <laughs> For some of us, when we think about being a Christian, we just simply think about a time in our life when we came forward and our parents urged us or a pastor urged us to come forward and we said a prayer and we went back to the seat and for 30, 40 years we've been sitting in that seat. We give a little here and there. We go through the motions of being part of connect groups and being part of the events and the things that happen at the church. But that's our thought. That's our identity. It's something for many of us, sometimes when we think about being a Christian, it's, we would, if we're honest, we would say that it really kind of boils down to Sundays and Wednesdays. That the rest of the week, it's not really part of our identity. For many that sit in churches, that's as far as it goes. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, there may be no communication between you and the Lord. You don't pick up your Bibles. You don't read the Bible. You, you don't pray. You, there's this disconnect. When you get to the point of thinking about what does a real disciple do? The story that we're going to read today out of Matthew chapter 4 answers some questions for us about what it means to be a disciple. 
It's a simple text. You've read it many, many, many times, many of you. You know the calling of the twelve. And we see in this text the calling of four. In verse 18 of chapter 4, let me just read you quickly this text, and we're going to work through it quickly. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. A simple text. Has it ever stood out to you? I mean, I, I remember when I was reading this as a child, when I heard this, and really up into my adult life, I always wondered, how in the world did they go from fishing to following Jesus? Because the story, what it looks like on the surface, is it looks like Jesus just walked up and said, hey guys, follow me. And they're all like, okay. Not a question of where are we going, not a question of what are we doing. Not a question of why me. I mean, we look at it on the surface, and it just seems odd to us that somebody could just walk up and say, follow me, and they do it. It's because we don't understand the context of the history of this text, of, of what they understood Jesus was doing when he called them. They knew who Jesus was. In that day, for you to be a disciple, this was not an uncommon term. Disciple wasn't a term even that Jesus came up with. Being a disciple had been there for a long, long time. When Jesus came into that culture, they knew the word. They understood the word because when children were five years old, they went into basically what they called the Torah school. Now, that was the school where every five-year-old would go in and they would begin to memorize and learn the first five books of the Bible. And for five years, they would study. And when they got to the age of 10 years old, there was kind of this, this culling of the students. And those that seemed to really be excelling in those religious studies and in that memorization, they would take a small portion of those students and they would ask them to continue on. The rest of them, they would go back to their families and they would work the trade probably that their father had. For the next seven years, those that were ten that were called to go further in studies, they would study the rest of the Old Testament Scripture. And at the age of 17 years old, it would be decided who among those would continue further in religious studies. You see, back in that day where, you know, we look and we think, man, if I could be a rock star, man, if I could be a, a, a football pro, if I could be this, that, or the other, you know, for us, what we look at as, you know, the pinnacle career that we could have, they weren't thinking doctors and all the things that we think about today. Religious studies. To be a leader among God's people. For the Hebrews, there was no greater honor. And so it was a great honor for those students at age 17 to have the opportunity to go and find a rabbi. And at the age of 17, if you had completed those studies, you would go and you would find the rabbi that you wanted to learn under and you would simply go sit at their feet. And by you sitting at their feet, they knew that you were asking to be their, guess what? Their disciple. They would pelt you with questions. They would discuss with you all these things, and if 
they felt like you were able and worthy to be their disciple, then guess what? Then you would continue on following this rabbi. And the intent of the rabbi was to take that disciple and give them all that they know. And not just give them all that they know, but the disciple was literally supposed to become just like the rabbi. Literally the greatest compliment that could be given to a rabbi or a disciple was that when you looked at one, you saw the other. And when Jesus walked up that day to those men, and he called them, they knew who Jesus was. They probably knew what John the Baptist had said of Jesus. In fact, the text right before this text was the baptism of Jesus, where literally, where, where John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, there's one greater than me. There he is. There's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Remember, it was Jesus at age 12 that was speaking and confounding the rabbis. They looked at him and they knew that he spoke as one with what? Great authority. And when Jesus walked up to those men that day, they had a deeper understanding of follow me than what we think they do. It changed their life the day that Jesus called them. The day that Jesus chose them. Here's what I want you to know this morning. This text, you know what it reveals to us? You know why these men were so astounded that day? Because what we find is that God wants to use us in ministry. And you may sit back and say, well, I don't know that God can use me. Let me tell you about God and the way that he moves. Let me tell you about Jesus and the way that he moves. What we find in this text, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Now, see, that's good news for you and me. You know what they would have said of these men? They were the B team. These were the guys that no rabbi would have ever considered. These were the guys probably at age 5 and age 10 when, when they went through the school and they were to learn. Nobody saw anything in them that they desired, so they sent them back home to work. And here is this rabbi that walks up to them, this man, Jesus, who is preaching the kingdom, who is confounding other rabbis, who is speaking with authority, and they walk up. These men, you have to remember, they were fishermen. They weren't disciples of the rabbis of their day. He didn't choose them on the basis of their ability. You know what he always chooses on? Just simple availability. You see, for most of you, what's keeping you back from obeying the Lord in this issue of making disciples, of being a faithful witness, of, of making sure that your life, in your life, you are committed to seeing people come to Christ. You are committed to the mission that God has for you, that he saved you and left you here for. What is holding so many of you back is you just think to yourself, I can't, I don't have it in me, I don't have the knowledge, I, I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability, I can't do this like so-and-so, and I can't do that like so-and-so. Let me tell you something, if that's you, then you need to hear me say, then good, you're the one God wants.
Don't you remember we used to sing little as much when what? When God is in it. Don't you remember that we serve the God that you can bring him five loaves and two fish, and what can he do with it? He can multiply it. He can feed the multitudes. The difference between those that God are using and those that are not allowing themselves to be used is simple availability. It's not the fact that, that you're not the best. It's just the fact of whether or not you're willing. Folks, you have to remember that when God calls you, he equips you. It's not something that you're going to do for God. That's never been the case. You know what God is saying to all of us today? I want to do something through you. You see, you, you bear too much weight when you think that I'm going to save someone for God. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do that for God. No, you know what God says? He says, why don't you just die so that I can live through you? Why don't you just give up control and let me show you that in your weakness, I can be made strong. There are people around you that are waiting for you to realize that if God calls you, he will equip you. He loves using the B team, those that don't know all of the Bible, the ones that may not be the most eloquent, the ones that may not be the most talented. I love the way John MacArthur said it. He said, God skipped all the wise on that day. Let that sink in. He skipped all of the wise on that day. The great scholars, they were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers, they were in Athens. The powerful, they were in Rome. He passed over historians. He passed over Socrates, the great thinker. He passed over Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. God doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. But secondly, I want you to see that God chose us, and we didn't choose him. You see, that's the difference that happened that day. You see, these men were already considered the B team. These men were already considered unworthy to follow a, a rabbi like Jesus. They didn't even make it past the first cut. And I can tell you at this point in their life, they weren't looking to follow a rabbi. They weren't looking to be used in the way that God was going to use them. They had settled on what the world had said that they were, nothing. And so all they did was what the world told them to do. I have to go home and I have to fish. And that's what they decided to do, to just go and live life. They had probably given up on the thought. And one day, God could use them in a mighty way. And as they were sitting there plugging away at life, Jesus walks up. And he chose them. Any of y'all remember what it's like to be chosen last? <laughs> I was always chosen last. Basketball. Every time. Every time. Could you imagine what it meant to these men that were always chosen last for Jesus to walk up and say, I want you to follow me. 
I want you to be my disciple. John 15, if you turn there, says it this way, and you can keep a finger there because we're going to go there a couple times here in the next few minutes. But I love what it says in John 15. In John 15, verse 16, these are the words of Jesus. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now, this isn't Jesus' confession that he is a Calvinist. This isn't the unraveling of all the great mysteries of sovereignty versus free will. But let me tell you what it is. He's about to tell you why he chose you. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, he's about to tell you. And if we would be more concerned with the why. Because look at what he says. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. That you would go and you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, I called you for a purpose. I have appointed you to something. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then recognize that he called you in just the same way that he called those disciples because he wants you to know him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to become like him, to live as he lived, to serve as he served. That's how you know whether or not you are truly a disciple of Jesus is do you look like the one that you're following because in that day, that's all that that meant. The disciple looking like, becoming like, talking like, serving like, teaching like the rabbi he was following. To be filled with his power. Because thirdly, Jesus chose us so that we could be with him. You saw that he just chose these fishermen. They were just out fishing when he called and said, I want you to follow me. And that call to follow him, understand that Jesus chose us. If we know that he chose us and we didn't choose him, the question becomes, then why did he choose us? Don't you love that Jesus doesn't hardly mention anything else? He doesn't give great detail. He doesn't say where they're going. He doesn't say what they're doing. All he says is, follow who? Follow me. You know what it actually is an invitation to? I want you to be with me. Uh, Mark 4 makes it more clear. If you turn over quickly to Mark 4, let me show you the way that call looked in Mark 4 because I love the way that he puts it there. I'm sorry, not 4, 3. I don't know why I said 4. I was just thinking, man, that ain't right. Uh, Mark chapter 3, look at what he says in verse 13. He says, and he went up on the mountain and he summoned those to whom he himself, what? Wanted. He went up on the mountain and chose those to himself that he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Do you see what the first calling is as a disciple of Jesus Christ? to be with him, to love him, to worship him, 
to become like him. Our greatest calling is to be with him. Get his word inside of you until it dominates all of your thinking, all of your behavior. Get in his word until all you can do is think about it, talk about it, quote it. Because the reality is a relationship with Jesus Christ for us is bound up in knowing him through his word as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and tell you this. If you say that you're a disciple but you don't have a love for his word, I would say, who are you following? A disciple, you know what he does? He spends time with his rabbi. He spends time with his teacher. He spends time with the one that he wants to become like. He will never become like the master until he spends time with the master. Church, you will never become like Jesus until you spend time with Jesus. You'll never have his passion. You'll never have his priorities. You'll never have his power. You'll never have the things that you think that you are looking for Outside of a relationship with him. You can come sit in this church all day, every day. You can be at every event we put. You can put money in there. You can do all those religious things. But if you're not in the word of God, my question is, then who are you following? He chose us so that we could be with him. He didn't say where they were going. He didn't tell them what assignment he had for them. Because the primary call is not to do something. The primary call is to become like him. And if you become like him, guess what? Then everything else is going to fall into place. Is the priority of your life knowing him? Do you spend time with him? Do you soak up Every single word that has come out of his mouth. Do you take advantage of every opportunity to learn and to grow? You see, the reality is we can have a fall festival and I can get all of y'all here. We can offer a prayer time and guess what? True or untrue? Church, true or untrue? I can get you all excited about a chicken dinner. But can you say like Jesus, I have food you know not of? I'm filled in a completely different way because of my relationship with the Father, knowing His will and His way and His word. And that that becomes the very priority of your life to the point that what Jesus is saying is, I don't need food as badly as I need Him. We have every opportunity between connect groups, D groups, Sunday mornings for you to continue to grow. But folks, that can't be all that there is. God wants to speak to you. Those things, are they helpful? Are they beneficial? Absolutely. Should we be part of them? Without a doubt. I'm asking you today, how serious are you about your faith? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? Because... 
The fourth thing is Jesus chose to leave it all, and we must too. Aren't you glad Jesus left heaven and came to earth to be obedient to the Father? That he loved the Father so much he did whatever it was the Father asked him to do? That his thing was, me and the Father were one. When you see him, you see me. And what he gave up so that we could be followers of Jesus. What he gave up so that we could know life. And folks, I'm telling you today that Jesus is putting the same call out to you and to me. Because the reality is we have things in our life that take precedence over following Jesus. We, if we're honest, we do. I want you to notice what he says to James and John. He says to follow me. And he knew that they knew what that meant. That to follow Jesus, he was going to be moving. He was going to be doing. He was going to be active in the world. And if they were going to know Jesus, they had to let go of some things to grab hold of him. And I want you to think for a second what it costs these men to follow Jesus. We, we really act like it's such a big deal. Most of us haven't even begun to give up what these men gave up when they followed Jesus. Uh, they followed Jesus on a whole other level because you know what it says? It says they had to leave their boat and their father. Do you know what those two things represent? <laughs> when you're a fisherman, what is your boat? That's your whole source of livelihood. Most of us, statistically, half of us in this room, we can't even let go of the 10% that's his. Oh, oh, what? Much less sell the boat and follow him. We can't find a way to take what's his and give it to him. He says, follow me. And they, they literally left their livelihood. Now, most of us in this room, God's probably not going to ask you to get up and leave your livelihood. But some of you, he will. Some of you, he's put a call of missions on your life. And the question becomes, will you lay down the dreams that your parents have for you, that, that your friends have for you, that maybe that you have for you? And when Jesus calls you to go, do you realize that there are still people today that they walk away from their boat? And they go into ministry? They go into mission? says that they walked away from their father. I can't think of any more two important things in our life than family and finances, right? You see, following Jesus is going to mean that it's probably going to take you places. Melanie and I, the older we get, I'll be honest with you, the more we miss our families. When we were in our 20s and 30s, it really didn't seem to bother us as much. But you know, the older we get and the older our parents get, and the more our siblings grow up, and we start to realize that, you know what, it, being here in Wendell without our family is tough. You know why we resist the urge to go to Florida and to pastor a church there? Well, because Jesus chose us and put us here. And you know what it requires of us? 
We just have to live 10 hours from our family. Some of you, God is calling to go to shine. It's tough. It's uncomfortable. You're leaving family to go do what God has asked you to do. But folks, that's the nature of our calling. Is that we got to be sure that there's nothing in our life that is hindering us from being with him in the center of his will for us. That there's nothing in our life that's keeping us from being missional. And lastly, Jesus chose, I'm sorry, Jesus chose to be, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Jesus chose us to be disciple makers. When he called us to leave it all, let me tell you why he called us to leave it all. To go and make more disciples. He told the first two that he called, he said, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're not going to do what you've always done. You see, to follow me, everything's going to shift. Everything's going to change. Priorities are going to shift. He says, you're not going to fish for fish. He says, now you're going to fish for what? Now you're going to fish for men. And folks, what Jesus has called us to be and called us to do is to make disciples of men. What he has called us to do is to consider who are the people in our lives that, that God desires to see saved. Those that are lost, that need the gospel. He looks at us and he asks us, if you're a disciple of mine, then guess what? You've got to be willing to do the things that I'm doing. Wherever Jesus went, he commanded them to go and do these things. He said, I want you to go two by two and share the gospel. I want you to go out into the highways and the byways and to call people to salvation. I want you to preach the kingdom. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to go heal. And whatever it is that he said to do, guess what disciples do? Whatever it is that Jesus says. And folks, here's the scary thing. I hinted at it last week, and I want to say it just as bluntly as I can. This is not Pastor Aaron trying to be outlandish scare you to do anything let me tell you what the issue is for many of us the greatest evidence that we have a lot of lostness in our churches is the lack of passion to make disciples how can you say you're a disciple of Jesus but you could care less about the things Jesus cares about but you won't do the things that Jesus did. And when he said, I want you to go and witness, you just say thanks, but no thanks. I hear you, Jesus, but it's not going to happen. I hear you, Jesus, and I want to follow you, but you know what? I, I got a boat, and I got a father, and I got things, and I've got time, and I, I, I've got all these things that are taking precedent. Listen, you're either following him or you're not. You're either obeying him or you're not there is no middle ground you are either for him or against him there is no sitting on the fence with jesus and i'm imploring you today because here's what matters you know what i want you to hear out of this who's your one people are got they're dying and going to hell waiting on people who call themselves Christians 
they'll readily call themselves Christians. They'll tell you the reason why they're Christians. I came forward, I go to church, all these things. But the things that those that call themselves Christians in the American church aren't doing is they're not disciples that make disciples, and that's the very thing that defines us as Christians. If you go back and look, and I'll close with this, at John 15, 8, the same section that we looked at just a minute ago where Jesus said that he chose us to appoint us to go and bear fruit. Look at what he goes on and says in 8. Back up and he says, my father is what? What does it say? My father is glorified. The very reason you exist is to glorify God. If you're not glorifying God, you are missing your purpose completely. Jesus says, my father is glorified by this. That you bear much fruit. And by bearing fruit, what does it say? You prove to be my disciples. You see, I told you it's not me being outlandish. It's not me trying to scare you. It's not. No, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus has to say about the issue. My father is glorified by this. That you bear much fruit. What is the fruit? Making disciples. And by you making disciples, he says, you're proving that you are a disciple yourself. And so I challenge you, church. Will you find one? Do you realize the difference it would make in the life of this church if everyone in this room found one? You, you realize what would happen in the next year? Guess what would happen if all of us just won? And, and how sad, how pathetic, honestly, is it to think that in a whole year we would just reach one? That's my only problem with who's your one. I'll start there because if we could get to that point, that would be fantastic. But you know what the sad reality is? It should be more than one. We have 365 days a year. How many people do we meet in a year? But if we just saw one, you know what would happen this time next year? Chances are that one would have a family. Good Lord, we, we, we would be at four services to God's glory. We could plant four new churches probably to God's glory. You see, the question really becomes, how have we been here 209 years? I'm going to run the math between now and next week. It'd probably scare us that if we just started with two people in this church and every one of those people won one to Christ, where should we be? How many people should have walked through these doors and been baptized in those waters? And what impact would it have had on this community? Do you realize... In five or ten years, this is the honest truth, if we all chose one every year for the next five years, you realize that all of Wendell would be evangelized? And 
and we're just one church. It tells you something's wrong with the church, doesn't it? So church, I'm going to encourage you. Who's your one? These cards, I want, if you're ready, we've got four weeks. If you haven't thought of who your one is, I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. If you haven't done that, then I'd rather you wait till next week. And if you can't think of one, you're not thinking very hard. My one is a young man named Pranav, 24 years old from India. We were asked to reach out to international students through NC State. I met Pranav by simply picking him up at an airport two weeks ago. No family, no furniture. <laughs> Came to America to study computer sciences. And he's here at NC State. And God told me, as soon as we saw this, I knew that that Indian student, whoever it was going to be, that was going to be my one. I didn't have a name then, but I have a name now. His name is Pranav. Every week, I try to reach out to Pranav. Every week, he reaches out to me. He's got three roommates. Then I'm going to go ahead and say, maybe, who's my four? But I want you to pray for me because I have my one. And I pray that young man comes to Christ because that's international missions. He's going to get done and guess where he's going? He's going right back home with the gospel, probably to places that we couldn't go. And I pray that he receives Christ. Who's your one? As Kevin plays, I want everybody to come up and get one of these cards. If you know who your one is, you can write the name, you can stick it up there. If you want to wait, wait. But I'm going to ask you today to stand. And I'm going to ask you today to get that one. And if you want to take it and pray over it, but you bring it back next week, because we're going to fill those boards with people that should hear the gospel and be loved enough to be discipled by the people of this church who call themselves Christians, which are disciples. So church, come get these cards. And on your way out today, you can place it there. take it home but I want you to be sure that if you write that name on there that you are going to care for the soul of that person and church as you grab it place it you can go today but I want you to be praying 30 days for that name and I want you to make an impact on their life church